Hello and welcome to MindSafe 360, the future of workplace mental health. And today with me, I have uh, Dom Fleeton, a partner from KNL Gates. And today we're talking about proactive and reactive measures with regards to psychosocial hazards within the workplace um, and what is deemed as either or and what is now expected. Um, welcome, Dom. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Um, My pleasure. This is a really interesting topic and um, one that one that comes up a lot and just sort of really underpins the shift in legislation that we've seen over the past couple of years. So it's, um, yeah. so it's a really good one to jump into. Absolutely. And and I love that comment you made to me a few weeks ago um, that the legislation is built around being proactive. So by definition, reactive measures aren't compliant. Mm, yeah. So right. tell, tell me about... What is classed as a reactive measure? What is the what is the old way of thinking, or what was what what did companies organisations used to do that isn't now compliant? Yeah, I think I think the old way of thinking, in general terms, was really that when it comes to people's mental health or issues that might impact people's mental health, that these are um, very hard to to deal with and navigate, but they're they're ultimately private issues. We don't mm. want to sort of be seen to pry. Um, people go through a lot for a lot of different reasons, and but if they put up their hand, then of course we'll we'll do what we can to sort of help them and and listen to their concerns and try and address them. But you know that was coupled with you know a, a very strong um, sentiment of look. A lot of these matters require a lot of personal resilience. So, mm. um, and a lot of them really are not to do with work. Uh, and so, you know, that's really sort of not our side. It's really, you know, outside the bounds of what we need to deal with and, and, and concern ourselves with. And I think mm. that also partly just, it, it's just hard to comply or to, to put in place a system where the perception has been it's hard to, comply with your obligations, your statutory obligations in that context compared mm. to physical safety, you know, because you can touch and feel, you can walk up to a piece of equipment and go, well, that needs to be guarded. That's a nip point. If someone puts their hand in there when that's operating, they're going to get dragged into it. You know, all those sorts of things. It's very, very easy. You know, you can see it. You can you can verify it. Um, mm. It's all very objective. So, and I think that's something that, you know, very much was at the core of, of the recommendations that came out of the bold review at the end of 2018, you know, in the, in, in the psychosocial health chapter, which mm. is, look, employers have a, you know, compared to their understanding of how to comply with the act in terms of physical safety, their understanding of how to do it in terms of mental health is, is, um, is, is inferior. And that could be for a whole host of reasons. It could be because, well, there's not an inclination to really get involved because of that, it, you know, that attitude, well, it's private. Yeah. And also because it's it's also more difficult and they recognise it's um, difficult. And so that was really something that really, you know, led to the recommendation of, well, the legislation needs a bit more scaffolding around it. So mm -hmm. let's put in place these model regulations to really try and just help give a bit more guidance and let's come up with a code of practice which, you know, is intended to educate and really help distill what the act requires and how you try and go about it and what the common psychosocial risks are 
you know, just to have a starting point. So yeah, you know, I think I think that's 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 where we where we've got to. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember sort of being on on building sites for for decades where you know no one no one will talk about their stuff. I I never yep. I was brought up by a single dad. Um, we were never. I was taught not to talk about my stuff, and what was what mm. I did was allowed to talk about was to be talked about within the house, not to anyone else. Yep. So it was a very private matter. Um, mm. So even going into industry, every every man that I was on on a building site with, and we're talking decades, is was reflecting what I was doing as well, which was not talking about my problems mm. um, and not sharing, but it would come out in my behaviour, yep. you know, and it would be, you know, the angry guys and girls now that are on site for, and for apparently no real reason to why they're angry, just no one really wants to work with them. But mm. we'll leave them be. If they've got an issue, they come and talk to us mm. um, rather than, and I always used to because I could see the impact that it was creating on, on the team on site. And I would also go, always go up to them and yeah, sometimes I what I call the hairdryer effect, where someone would just be shouting at you <laughs> and just <laughs> nothing about the actual issue at all, but they was getting a lot of stuff off their chest, and yeah. and I was okay with that because if it made them a little bit easier to be around, and also they felt a little bit better, um, then for me that was worth it at the time. But obviously, those certain circumstances, situations. You, you, we don't tolerate them anymore. Um, you know that would be classed as aggression, and and you know, you know, waving your arms about, feeling intimidated. Um, but back then, it was a different story, and and I think now it's sort of everyone's talking about mental health. We've had an increase in in psychosocial injuries um, through work cover. Um, we've got the legislation uh, changing to encourage employers to do more. Um, with regards to psychosocial hazards within the workplace. Um, and uh, certainly a common thing that I would come ag against um, before all these models came out and the legislation changes came out were, oh, well, we have EAPs and mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. mental health first aiders, mm -hmm. um, which to me are, are reactive measures. There is when something has already happened, mm -hmm. we are attending it. Mm -hmm. um, and we can move that into a bit more of a proactive measure for sure. Um, but just having them sitting uh, as your due diligence or your duty of care or your fail safes is not enough. Yeah. Um, it's not enough for you to say that you have an EAP and a, a mental health first aider. And the EAPs um, uplift, like the take-ups is 2-3%. That is it. Right. You know, so, and we know the stats, you know, we know the mm. mental health stats that, you know, how many people are struggling. Um, and these are just people that are reporting um, what they're struggling. So it's it's very um important now for employers to actually start going out and looking and being more proactive and um, with regards to looking for hazards and one is it's actually approaching people yeah. you know if you see someone who their behavior has changed um, or even if you know that the workload has increased you know it's going to affect because it's affecting you. Mm. <laughs> so it's mm. affecting you as a leader mm. or a manager. It will be affecting everyone below you as well and mm. above you, you know. 
Um, so with regards to the legislation, what is required or what is classed as proactive? If someone, if, if you was presented in front of a regulator and they said, show me mm. your proactive measures with regards mm. to looking for hazards, mm. um, what, what would they be looking for? Yeah, they're looking for a systemic approach um, to trying to identify and then weed out. And if you can't weed them out, then mitigate risks to people's psychosocial health. So they want to see that you've upfront had a, had a run at trying to identify what those hazards are in your business mm. um, and what you have identified as um, being reasonably practical to do about them. And they want to see that you've, as part of that, that you've engaged with the workforce and consulted with them to make sure that your understanding of the hazards is right, the impact of the hazards is right, that you haven't missed anything, and also whether or not what you're proposing to do to try and mitigate them is actually going to have the desired effect and is actually workable in the context of the work environment. So they, they want to see that and they, they want to see, and, and it, it, it does quickly morph into reactive because you can have the best system in the world and you'll still have issues, mm. you know, because no system, one, no system is perfect. Two, you know, th things can arise with, you know, with the best of intention, we just haven't picked something up or it's a new issue that's arisen, you know, because we're doing this new activity or it's because of a certain person's work situation or the specific, you know, the specific circumstances of their, you know, their engagement or relationships, you know, in a team, for example, new people coming in, you know, other people going out, all of that. So, um, but, you know, part of that, that, it's reactive when you're having to deal with that. But there is sort of, a, there is a quasi-proactive element to it, which is, and it feeds back into your system, which is, well, how do we know what to look for in terms of red flags? And who are mm -hmm. the people who are best placed to look at that? So that's people who are like managers, people who are working with um, employees who are going to have the best chance of noticing behavioural shifts mm. or other things. So have we trained them? Like, do they know, do we know who those people are? Have they been trained so that they know what to look for? And then how to raise it, you know, like, so have they been trained in, do they at least know where to go to get help if yeah. they see it? Um, do they know how to have the, have they been given guidance around how to have the conversation to just ask the question or is there support there who could help them, you know, like, for example, someone in a HR team to help them have that conversation with the person. So, you know, that bit of it's proactive because you can, you should be doing that up front. It's a trade, you know, it's a, it's one of your risk controls. It's that training to supervisors to try and pick up on these sorts of red flags. So, you know, if you're um, uh, a regulator and you're coming in and making um, inquiries as to uh, an organization's approach to this and wanting to make sure it's, you know, proactive, then they want to see evidence of all of that. Um, mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it. I've spoken spoken to companies before, and mm. they their take on it was to walk around with a risk assessment, like you would do with a fiscal. And mm, I'm like, well, yeah. where's the consultation? Because there mm. is so many mm. errors and cognitive biases, and you're missing the whole subjectivity of mental health and how people are perceiving their environments. Mm. Um, you know, we talked about on a previous podcast where our client had an incident and the perception of the environment of the people that was working there had changed. Their, their mm. perception of the environment had changed, yet they weren't the one subject to that direct um, incident. 
Um, so I think it's it's sort of having a look at having those consultations and even an assessment that I actually carried out last um, week. Mm-hmm. We actually, I sort of had a com- conversation with the officers in the PCBU and like what, what their perceptions were before we went and did the assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, we know that they're struggling with high workload and stuff like that. And the amazing thing that came out of the focus groups and the assessments was the fact that they felt that they could deal with the workload if the interruptions stopped. Yeah. So it's not the workload that was the was the hazard. Mm. It was the actual interruptions mm. that was creating mm. the stress mm. because they weren't able to do their work. Mm. Um, mm. And this is why it's so important to you know, start those consultations with your team because they will tell you exactly what's going on for them and what needs to happen for them to be able to feel safe and less stressed. Yeah. And a lot of the time, most of the time that what I've come up with, it's there's there's no big drastic changes. And I think that's what a lot mm. of employers are are scared about is that mm. the fact that they're they're gonna have to start changing their culture, the the processes, the procedures, the you know, everything has to be turned on its head. Um, and I haven't, I think I've come across one instant where the employer decided to re, uh, to redo their processes because they had identified that they had just been band-aiding as the business grew. So it was, a, and right. then alleviate the stress and processes and be more streamlined themselves, which again, had a positive effect on the employees. But even mm. with that process, mm. Because the employees were in consultation, they knew what was going on. Um, the stress levels came down. The indicators mm. on all the assessments we were doing were coming down, and it was mm. never brought up as an issue again because mm. they knew mm. it was being dealt with. Yeah. Um, and this is all the stuff that, even if you've got big stuff going on that's changing, if you can prove to a regulator that you're you're aware of it, you've gone under consultation, and you're actually in the process of mitigating and these this is what you're doing they're going to be okay with that rather than you saying oh well we're thinking of doing this but we don't know if that's really the problem yet yeah that's right i mean you're just going to get a better end result in all respects i think so you know and it doesn't mean that you know i don't think this is a commonly held perception but but sometimes i get a feeling from talking to people they think that consultation means well effectively you have to agree on everything so you know but but it's not the case you know ultimately Mm -hmm. you consult with your workforce and you you make the final decision now um it might be that you decide to go there'll be some areas where you make decisions and some people thought well you should approach it in a different way but to your point the fact that you're dealing with it you know is of itself meaningful um and you know the reaction, I think, is usually, all right, well, look, okay, they didn't, that's not exactly how I would have done it. But the fact that you have done something, you know, we we see value in and we take comfort from. And the fact that you're happy to sort of listen to us and ask us what our, our view is. So, I mean, you have to do it. The legislation says you have to do it, but that's not why you should be doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a, a better better outcome. And, and you, you see, this is sort of starting to flow into other areas so there's been a lot of talk recently um a, a lot published about the amendments to the sex discrimination act so there's this this positive duty on employers to try and prevent sex discrimination and sexual harassment and hostile 
workplaces on the basis of sex. And that obligation is about taking reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate that sort of conduct. So again, you have to be, like, and you read through all the material that's published, what stands out? Well, the word proactive appears constantly because that's what it is. It's like Mm. we can't deal with these issues in a reactive way anymore. The instances of sexual harassment based on all the surveys that are done are still astonishingly high. Mm. And we've said this is unacceptable for a long period of time. Mm. So we have to get more proactive about it. So, Mm. you know, it's the same mindset. So, and again, you know, you should be talking to your workforce about what you're doing in that regard as well, because sex discrimination and sexual harassment are of themselves safe. They're they're broader than safety issues, but they're safety issues. So what are we doing about that? And what, you know, how are people, are people feeling like they're in an unsafe working environment because of that sort of behaviour? What do they, what would make them feel more comfortable, et cetera? So again, like, you know, just, Increasing that level of engagement um, mm. is gonna is gonna produce better outcomes. Yeah, absolutely, and and even sort of ha- the the other beauty that I find when especially when we're doing um, focus groups, you have a lot of um, well, especially when people have been in the in a company for a long time, their yeah. perception of that company is old. So they sort of oh it's oh but it's just the boys club that's why they do it. Mm. I'm Switzerland, so I mm. challenge I challenge that thought process. Mm. You know, especially when you know I'm working in these companies and I know especially that that is not their intention at all, or and they'd be mortified. Yeah. Um, and it's challenging their thought processes. Where did you come from? That what evidence do you have to prove that? Um, mm. what else is possible? And because because I'm Switzerland, I'm not the company and I'm not one of the employees. Mm. I can challenge that in a very safe place and get mm. them to a different understanding that they've actually got evidence to support now. Yep. Um, so where they feel, oh, I don't feel it's a safe working environment. Oh, tell me why. You know, and, and, and uncovering why that they and, and sometimes it is their own thought processes that that they've bought that's old that doesn't even stand up and it's beautiful for me to see these light bulb moments when they're actually mm. oh I can mm. do that yes you can mm. do that and that's mm. okay um mm. because that also gives them that voice that that safe place to um to express themselves um and also onboard new information that they perceive as being Switzerland and not biased mm. um yeah. so it's consultations are amazing in so many different ways. And I think, like you said, a lot of employers are um, shy from doing it because they feel that they will be put into a corner that they have to do what what people are saying. Um, But if it's not reasonably practical, you're not required by law to do it. Um, And if it doesn't fit the business, like, for instance, the, you know, the, this was an open planned office, you know, mm, interruptions. Mm. If they said that, you know, we all want to have our own offices. Mm, mm. That's not reasonably practical, but yeah. we can start. I can play around with those and sort of look at, okay, so what else, what other options? And then give the options to the employer. And then mm, the employer mm. can sort of say, okay, so let's test and measure this. Yeah. You know, so this my, this particular client, they're testing and measuring a, a certain thing to reduce the uh, interruptions and then in three months later when we do the next assessment we can test and measure has it worked yeah. 
mm. you know, mm. because the job demand KPIs should be going down, the yeah. um, environmental KPIs should be going down, the control should mm. be coming down. <laughs> mm. You know, mm. It, mm. it affects everything. Um, and this is also what Comcare wants you to look at is the whole, what is the big picture going on? Yeah. They don't want you just to say, oh, well, it's just micromanagement. But why? What is happening? What is creating these environments? Is it one person on one? Um, So I think it's very important, you know, and and I encourage clients to to actually and employers to instigate in consultation um, and find out from their employees. But the caveat with that is that if you are going to ask, you actually got to feed back to them what you're doing about the information they've given you. Because otherwise yeah. they're not going to come back to you and tell you stuff. Um, and then the data you're getting is bad data and you can't yeah. work on it. Um, yeah. I think that's the that's one of the biggest things that I always come up against is, oh, well, we do we do surveys or we do assessments and nothing ever happens. Mm. Um, and the thing is, is that sometimes there are a lot of things happening, but it just hasn't been communicated mm. down to what's happened as well. Um, and one of the basic needs is for a human is that they want to be heard. So, yeah, you know, heat back I, I to them. Think yeah, I agree. I think you just shortchange yourself. If you do the work of consulting and then it all, the perception from the workforce is it just all goes into this big vacuum and then mm. people look at it and then you get told the outcome in terms of, well, we're doing this, but there's no greater level of feedback. I mean, going back to that point I made earlier, you want people to sort of feel like, all right, they didn't, do exactly what we wanted, but I feel like I'm heard. They've explained to me effectively why they went this way, and I can live with it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and and but you know, and I might maybe I'm less inclined to participate in future. Maybe I'm not. Maybe you know, it's you know, well, you know, I, I, I you know, that's that's fair enough. Um, I can't have it all my way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you know, trying to keep that level of engagement up. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So, and that. Mm-hmm. You know, that your point about effectively these sort of views about these old views about an organization and, you know, well, that's because of this. You know, we've known Mm. that for years. Well, if we want to talk about having a proactive approach, you can't just have that mentality. You've got to be consistently reviewing these things and verifying Mm. and making sure, right, is the risk the same? Are these issues the same? Uh, Is what we're doing working? If it's not, what are we going to do about that? Rather than just saying, well, that's the way it's always been. That's never going to change. It's it's been like that for fifteen years. I'm like, well, that's not a that's not a that's not really an answer. Mm. Um, it suggests that you just sort of. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. There are some risks you can't get rid of them, and you got to try and mitigate them. And then we're doing the best we can. And really, we can't point to anything else that we can do. That's fine. But you're actually testing that along the way, as opposed to, yeah. well, it was like that fifteen years ago, and. You know, we don't. Not, we're not aware of anything that would change it. Yeah, but you have. Have you gone and looked? Have you yeah. talked to people? And that's the difference. So, um, you know, not avoid that set and forget mentality because that's the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it sort of just builds a bigger. You know, if, if people, even if they're seeing that, you know, going back to to um, what you commented on there, where someone said, "Oh, well, isn't what they." that I wanted them to do. But then yep. if one of their work colleagues said, oh, but I suggested that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, well, they are actually listening to us. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and then that gives, and that's the thing is that you need good data. 
if you're not getting good information from your employees because they don't trust you because they don't feel that they're getting that information or being heard or that communication back, mm. um, you're not going to get the data. So you trying to understand what the hazards are and mitigating the risks on those hazards, the data is going to be a lot poorer than if you um, in, instigated and, and sort of spoke to them about the communication around what happens from them. Um, And we see this a lot when we are carrying out the first assessments. You know, that's why I always do the focus group. So I stand in front of them all and talk to them and they realise, oh, okay, they are serious about this and this is is what's going to happen. And then I help the employer to go through the communication. You need to tell them this. This is why it happens. And we look look at the psychological thing of, you know, improving it because just by being felt that they've been heard is is a massive bonus um, for employers. Um, and so I think the message there is, please don't be scared in engaging in consultation. Um, and I think the other, the other pushback I get is, well, it just turns into a big mother's meeting. Um, you know, whether it's men, women, whoever, you know, it just comes into, to a big session of what's wrong with the organization. Um, but you get a good facilitator that identifies what the issues are for the demographic you're actually talking to. They can cut down and cut through all of that. Mm. I do mm. it on, you know, with blue collars. And you can see mm-hmm. the terror on the leaders first. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. You're going to sit down with them all with and do what? I'm going to mm. talk to them. <laughs> yeah. no. yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's lovely because they actually feel heard. It's specific to them. It's contextual to them. Yep. Um, and also they're giving you feedback um, on this particular on, on a particular job that we did. Um, it came back that the indicators were high KPIs um, were on um, job demand, mm-hmm. but it was actually low job demand for some of the employees on the actual building site. Right. But that sort of came out through the consultations. Mm, mm. But they also came up with suggestions mm, on how yeah. what they need. Um, and, you know, there's so many, I mean, I can go on to, from a psychological point of view of why it's important for men to feel that they are have a purpose and how low job demand affects them um, mm. as, as a human and uh, because they don't feel that they mm. have a purpose that they you know what's the point of being here and bored it it feeds into their psyche really mm. badly mm. um so to address low job demand um is so important as well mm. um but I'm going to stop there because otherwise I'll I'll be on I'll be on my little um <laughs> on my little That's, footstool talking about it all, all day. <laughs> it's, a, it's a topic for another day. Absolutely, another without podcast. A doubt. Yeah. So I think the key takeaways, uh, Dom, from this one is to yes, have your mental health first aids, your EAPs, um, you know, go out look for hazards talk to people carry yeah. out assessments look at um you know look for trends um make sure that you know you're catching you know depending on how big your organization is you know what is what are the feedback loops of what's yeah. actually going on yeah. um and how you can support do people know the right channels are they given the right training uh, to be able to support or to be able to approach a situation um, and to enter into consultation um, to get a 
better understanding. That's the main reason why we do it is to get a better understanding from the assessments of what is, I, I get what you've ticked, but tell me why. What is your perception on all of these? Um, and then to be able to come up with uh, some solutions um, as well and um, not be scared. Don't mm. be scared. If you if you go into a consultation with a theme that's backed by data, that's contextual to them, um, it's very rare that you'll actually enter into um, a session that is just where everyone's just moaning. Um, yeah. So be be constructive with your consultations as well. Um, anything else to add to that? I would think uh, the only thing I would suggest is that if people, sometimes just making a list of the things that you do at the moment and looking at them and going, well, we're trying to address these issues by doing X, Y, and Z. All right, well, just what's X, Y, and Z? And then really honestly look at that and go, is that a proactive solution or is that a reactive solution? Now, if it's reactive, it will still end up in your risk assessment somewhere as a control. It'll just be right down the end of the list. Yeah. But I think it's, um, you've got to differentiate what you're doing and why, you, you know, why you're doing it. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that's being done will be from a general well-being perspective, you know, and an employee engagement perspective. Yeah. Like we do this because we want to be good to our staff. Um, we want to um, uh, make them feel valued. We want them to come to work, all those sorts of things, and we want to support them. That's all good, except that I think a lot of organisations ascribe a higher priority to those things in terms of managing risk than you could actually ever give them in a risk assessment. So just test yourself by doing that. But mm. I mean, bottom line is, if we, if you're listening to this and you're hearing this and you're thinking, well, I don't I don't know where a risk assessment is, I don't even know what that would look like, then mm. that's your answer. Yeah. So you need to go and get one done. That's not to say that these other things that you do are not incredibly useful and important. They are for a whole bunch of different reasons, but you just got to understand where they sit in the hierarchy when we're talking about this sort of proactive approach because um, if you're talking to an inspector and in the first couple of minutes you're talking about EAP, for example, and that's going to leave a very poor first impression and those they really count and it's not mm -hmm. evidence of a system that's not evidence of a proactive approach. So, you know, just it's hard, but the time to do that if you haven't done it already is now and hopefully you're working in an organisation that has the resources to help now really do that and really get stuck into those sorts of processes. And and doing it and starting the journey if you haven't started is better than just sitting there not having done anything about it, you know. it's it, You're always looking for continuous improvement. Better to be able to say, well, we're working on this and we're mapping out this and we're trying to get towards this by this date than, uh, you know, it's sort of we've got really nothing to show in terms of what we're working on. We've just got what we do at the moment. And, you know, that, then you're in a situation of, well, we're hope, hoping that's enough mm. and, and oftentimes it's not it's not not nowhere close to good enough yeah absolutely and if anyone has or is going through this process of doing a gap analysis or wants more information on them you know feel free to reach out to either dom or myself um we're more than happy to have conversations with you um, and guide you in the right way uh, to make sure that you're compliant and also you know doing the right thing by your employees and your team. Um, so we're always here to help. So reach out if you need to. Um, thank you again, Dom, for your wise words and no. um, your presence. You too. Thank you. That was fascinating. Uh
Yeah, absolutely. We could. Uh, um, the thing is, is that both of us could talk about this one all day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so we better we better cut it off now, or we yeah. will. So <laughs> absolutely. That's well, great. It was great. Well, thank you, thank you everyone for listening, and till the next time, take care. Thank you.